here to find a man. Um, because actually, actually, that's true. Because I felt a call to ministry and I didn't want to do it alone. Um, and it took me till my second year to find you. I was delayed. <laughs> you were delayed. Anyway, so we, we met here. We dated here. We used to walk to the bluff a time or two. And uh, our, our what like what is this? Like, settle down. Our, our first our first kiss was in the now it used to be the cafeteria room six on the ledge. You'll never look at that room again the same way. Yeah, anyway, awkward. Exactly. Um, I just re- I and I just remember going. Um, wow, like. This is uh, this is this is not just having a girlfriend. Like because our our hearts were aligned towards the call of God, it was a it was a weird feeling to say, "Okay, I'm committing to be at that point your your boyfriend." But it was uh, it was not just like a fling. It was no, yeah. Was, we I think we felt that pretty quickly. Actually, we dated by doing an internship together. Like, that that's how we got to know each other. We watched each other. We watched each other how how we related to people. And, and you know, there were things that I saw in Darcy that I so admired. He was such a hard worker. And, you know, he was the one, like, like you know, bringing up the chairs at the end of the meeting and doing those kinds of things. And I thought, he'd be a good husband. That's what I thought to myself. <laughs> anyway... Wow, thanks. <laughs> so so here we are 30 years later. Uh, we've been in life and ministry for um, that 30 years. We've actually raised three children together. Uh, we got them all to adulthood without you know, any major mishap. Um, all three of our kids got married last year in the period of 11 months. So um, we're going to take up an offering later. To, uh, <laughs> just kidding. No, we're not. Anyway, so tell them what you do, Dars. So I get to work in international missions, and I'm the personnel and family life director. And if God has a call in your life for missions, then I'm the person to eventually talk to. And we'll walk you into that, into that call. And it's, it's a pretty amazing uh, thing that I get to participate in. And Leanne uh, leads something called the Zoe Network, which is the Pentecostal women across Canada and does uh, leadership development and also resources missionaries. And it's really, it's really cool because uh, there are times where we're traveling overseas, visiting global workers and speaking and connecting with women and, and having our hearts moved. You'll hear a few stories of that as we talk tonight. But it's pretty amazing to partner together after all those years uh, and, and to kind of walk arm in arm uh, towards the call of God and cheer each other on in the call of God on, on our lives. And that's pretty special. Yeah, we just actually arrived. Well, we've been home for a couple of weeks now, but we were just in Bangladesh and Sri Lanka. And um, so we do travel a lot and see our global workers in other contexts, we were just in the Rohingyan um, refugee camp, which if you know anything about the Rohingyan people, um, a million people moved in the period of three months last year um, out of Myanmar into Bangladesh right on the border. So it's those kinds of things that we're involved with and, and really enjoy t- 
together as God has called us. So we want to talk about women and men working together. Is that something interesting to you? Yeah. Okay, good. Because it's a real area of passion for us. So like I said, I, I came here because I felt a call to minister. Um, and early in, it, it's a long story how my ministry life has kind of turned out. There was lots of twists and turns, and there were some highs, but there were some lows, I tell you. But I remember um, one day, I, I was associate pastor at Living Waters for 10 years. And I remember leaving the church one day, and he was the pastor's husband. Mm-hmm. And we're heading out to the minivan. And I said to Darcy, because um, it's, it's this weird thing, and it, it, you know if you preach, there's a vulnerability that goes with it. It's almost like, okay, here's my heart on a plate. And, and you're putting it into other people's hands, and there's a vulnerability to it. And so I'm walking out to the van, and I said to Darcy, I preach like a girl. Now, I don't know if you heard that right, but when I said, I preach like a girl, it was a negative statement. And it was a life moment for me. I will never forget it, because in that moment, I uncovered my own biases, and I uncovered my own self-doubt, and maybe even a smidgen of self-hatred of myself as a woman in leadership. I was raised um, in Penticton at Bethel Church. And I didn't know it then, but it was actually a really great church to grow up in and to be female. Because our pastors wholeheartedly believed that women were equipped and free to respond to God's call on their lives, whatever that would look like. And so as a young person, I was given opportunities really, really early. I remember starting to lead worship when I was 12 years old. My first sermon was when I was 14 years old, and the senior pastor invited me for some reason to come and to a Wednesday night kind of Bible study midweek thing and share something that God had put on my heart. And I'll never forget it because I, I was standing there at the front of the, just like this actually. And I felt like I was almost like touching my future. There was something about it where I went, oh my goodness, <gasps> this. And Bethel Church was a safe place for me to try. It was a safe place to explore. And so that experience really shaped me and nurtured the call uh, of God on my life. And so I was called to pastoral ministry. I ended up here. I was not called to be a children's minister because I don't like kids. Like, and don't then, tell our kids. Yeah. But like large groups of children just like freak me out and I want to run from the building, okay? Um, I was not called to be a woman's minister. I was not called to be a counselor. And you can be very glad that I am not in the counseling field because my skills kind of, to sum it up, it's like get your crap together. I mean, that's my counseling skills. And so, it's true. It's true. <laughs> what did you say? It's true. I, I, that was uh, that was date that was date number three. Um, get your crap together. And I'm not joking. You're not joking. <laughs> I did. Okay. And so it's I, okay. I felt this call to be a pastor. 
to be a preacher. To, I'm an exhorter. That's who God has made me. And I didn't have any role models that I could see. And the call of God was just relentless on my life. And honestly, I go through life like a puppy dog. I'm like, you're going to like me. Why wouldn't you like me? Look at me. I'm really nice, right? And it wasn't until I actually hit ministry. No, ministry hit you. Ministry hit me as a young, naive wife um, that I realized that the role of women in church is kind of complicated. And I realized that I was serving in a man's world. And because of that, when I look back in my 20s and my 30s, what I did was I, I began to minimize my femininity to get by. Because deep down, I believed that my feminine traits were somehow a liability to me in ministry. And I look back at that now, and it really makes me sad. Now, I served at uh, Living Waters for 10 years, and that was a place of great healing for me because it was a safe place to be female, and I came to learn that it was actually in my femininity that my greatest strengths lay. And so when I was walking out to the minivan with Darcy all those years ago, and I said, oh, you know, I preach like a girl. You said? Of course you do. You're a girl. <laughs> and we need girls to preach like girls. And it was, it was a God moment for me as, as well, as, I, as I'm like, oh, my goodness, like, Leanne has to get this right, or she will never live up to who God has called her to be. So that put Darcy and I on kind of an unexpected path. Um, we became really passionate that the church would come to fully understand the value and the worth and the dignity of the daughters. That men would be indeed strong. I love strong men. I love that this man is strong. But his strength doesn't need to be at my expense. That the body of Christ would demonstrate healthy, functional, cooperative male and female relationships. Okay, guys, I'm going to tell you something. You need to know this. It's confusing to be a woman. Is it not, girls? It's confusing. Okay, we are told different things each and every day. First of all, we are told to be sexy. But be virginal at the same time. I'm not sure how that's supposed to work. We're told to be powerful, but we're just told to keep in our place and don't get shrill. There, there's this, this message that a good woman sacrifices everything of herself for other people, and yet at the very same time, we're told to put ourselves first. And to me, as a woman, it's almost like my Pinterest board. Like on my Pinterest board, there's like a, a gooey brownie recipe right next to like steps to rock hard abs. Like... <laughs> right next to it, right? Right? Is that right? Why am I struggling so much? <laughs> okay, so so it's confusing, and it's been even more confusing in the church from the beginning. So from the beginning of Christianity, the changing attitudes towards women has swung between two extremes. So for the first 1,800 years of Christianity, women were seen as the temptress. From Plato to Aristotle, the culture concluded that men were ontologically superior to women, and the church throughout the ages just kind of agreed with these views without much question. And then beginning in the 19th century, this weird shift happened 
when many of these assumptions about women's inferiority uh, began to be challenged, and instead of being seen as devilish and inferior, the pendulum swung um, to the other extreme, and women began to be lifted up onto pedestals. They began to be seen as innocent and these kind of delicate creatures that served as the moral guardians of society. So while women were being lifted up in many ways, they were still confined to narrow roles based on Victorian ideals. And so it's interesting, when, when people talk about getting back to the biblical ideals for women, some would argue that, they're actually, that they actually are asking that we go back to Victorian ideals. And so the confusion continues today. Everyone's got an opinion about women, bloggers, conferences, uh, books, uh, a push to return to biblical womanhood, those kinds of things. So it's confusing. So I guess then we should go to the, the word, right? We should look at God's word and see what it says. Cause, and there's a few things, like we could, we could take weeks to do this, but you've got more coming up this weekend. and So we're going to try and finish before the weekend. And... Uh, So Genesis chapter one, let's look at creation, which we think of as God's vision casting, like he's he's setting vision. Then God said, "Uh, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth and all the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. So the first thing that we need to notice is that we were made in the image of God, both male and and female, both male and female. Uh, We're made in his image for his glory and our good. We're we're set apart from the rest of of creation for his good purposes. And there is something that we do that the rest of creation can't do, like dogs. I'm serious. like it's it's truly okay. So, ongoing theological argument in our home. We bear the traits of God. We show who God is ever so imperfectly, but we we show it. And I think sometimes we when we look at the creation account, we subconsciously think that somehow men really bear God's image, and women are add-ons. And with that, the traditional feminine characteristics of nurturing, inclusion, emotive, those are substandard. Um, but God is a spirit in whom both male and female find their origin and identity. And because of this, God actually needs both genders to display who he is. Listen to these passages of Scripture, and I, I love them. Like a woman who would never forget her nursing child, that's who, who God is. God is like a mother eagle hovering over her young. God seeks the lost like a housekeeper trying to find her lost coin. Not his lost coin, her lost coin. God cares for his people like a midwife that cares for the child she just delivered. God experiences the fury of a mother bear robbed of her cubs. I have met that feminine side of God. (laughs) Jesus longed for the people of Jerusalem like a mother hen longs to gather her chicks under her wings. So there's, there's these feminine pictures of who God is in scripture, but generally the church tends to skip past those. Men and women have God-given responsibilities. Our, our mandate is to be fruitful and multiply, and that's not just about sex. 
It's about living creative and productive lives through which we show who God is. Fill the earth and govern it. This is, this is a call to leadership to both men and women. To you, looking after God's creation on behalf of God. Look after people. If it happens here on the planet, God is asking us to care about it and to do something about it. We are not to live for ourselves, but to look beyond ourselves to be leaders in our world. And men and women were to do this together. In one of the marriage ceremonies that we use, and we're doing a a few weddings uh, this year, uh, we, uh, we say this. Eve was not created from Adam's head to rule over him or from his feet to be stepped on him, but from his side so that they could walk out their calling side by side. That is so good. I feel inspired. So the second creation account, which we find in Genesis 2, it says, Then the Lord God said, It's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. I will make a helper. And older translations use the word help meet. And traditionally, I think we've read this as kind of like like helper, you know, like like sidekick or, or secondary status. You know when you were in kindergarten and y'all took turns being the helper of the day, right? Do you remember that? I think that's sometimes what we read into this. But I don't think that that's what this is saying here. If you actually look at the original word, that's used here, it is easer, which is one who shares in all the roles, assists, particularly when someone can't do it. It means a strong power. In Psalm 124, it is a word that is used for God. So the image is one of strength. It's a word that that is used for God when he is coming through for Israel in a great time of need. It's actually uh, an image of a warrior. And so when we read that, are we reading, like, I'm going to make you a helper? Or am I going to make you a warrior? See, in God's original plan for women and men, we see a few things. We see unity, a oneness, not a competitiveness or even a hierarchy. We see unity. We also see a reciprocity. Wow, that's a hard word to say. Yeah, try it again. Reciprocity. That was good. Um, The giving and the taking. And what I love that you see is rest. See, this is the original plan. Now, when we read further in Genesis, we see the plan interrupted. Adam and Eve basically determine that they want to be their own gods and they know better. And so they choose independence, buying into the lie. And, and there were sad, sad consequences with that. Um, Adam would rule over Eve. Adam's work would be hard. Eve would experience pain in childbirth. And the clashes of the sexes was born, where that oneness and mutuality that we, we were created for was actually damaged. And one writer said that violence, suspicion, and prejudice grew and grew, and power became a consuming desire. And we see this played out all around the world. Um, Yeah, misogyny is alive and well all around the world. Humanity grasping for that power and domination. But then Jesus came. Amen. Like, seriously, Seriously. but Jesus, Jesus came, and he came to restore 
the relationship between God and his people, to restore the relationships between men and women, to restore our identity as image bearers and kingdom builders for him. He came to restore uh, what one writer calls a redemptive vision for community life. And it started with Jesus. And he modeled it. He, he healed women. Uh, he often broke time-honored traditions in order to do so. He broke cultural codes to do so. Women were invited to learn. Women were in his inner circle. Women were actually his financial supporters. Women were the first to witness the resurrection. Culturally, women are not allowed to be witnesses. And so isn't it interesting that they were the first, and it's recorded in Scripture. The world changed with the resurrection. Dr. Dave Demchuk, a notable scholar within our movement, (laughs) stated a few years ago, and I quote, a cosmic shift occurred. Oh, uh, hi, Dave. Hi, Dave. (laughs) I love this, though. I love this. Okay, so do you you want to... Well, he said that a cosmic shift occurred with the pouring out of the Spirit on the church as a whole. And instead of the Spirit being reserved for certain prophets and priests, God's spirit would be poured out onto all. And this cosmic shift changed how we worship God. It changed how we do ministry. Like those who were marginalized, who were marginalized in that, in that day? It was the women, the children, the slaves, the ones that weren't well. Those on the outside were brought in and were granted rights and privileges and they were welcomed in. You said something like that, right? Is that clear? It was good. It was good. I wrote it down. Yeah, and like it's lasted a few years I know. I preach it everywhere. I don't always say it was you. (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead. So when when you look at the gifts of the Spirit, like you don't see pink gifts and blue gifts. Um... There's no distinction along gender lines. God pours out his spirit, not so that we feel good, but he has poured out his spirit on us for purpose. Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Like, this is God's mission, and it's given as a command to both men and women. All were sent. All were sent into the world to preach the gospel, bind the brokenhearted, and enter into the ministry of reconciliation, where together we say to people, come back to God. The death and resurrection of Jesus was complete, and the ripples and ramifications for our everyday lives and relationships and our community is all-encompassing. This is a redemptive story and a redemptive vision for community. The resurrection of Jesus informs everything in our lives. And it's actually a signpost. When Jesus gets a hold of us, it's a signpost for the world around us. And I think we'll look different. Mm -hmm. We were just in Bangladesh, and we went to a a little house church with, it was a record-setting Friday, because that's the day that they do church. They don't do church on Sunday. They do it on Friday. It's a Muslim country. And so there were 17 people. Uh, there was no chairs, there were two beds, and somehow I had to sit in such a way that the soles of my feet were not pointing at anyone because that's a tremendous insult. And they asked me, as the missions poobah guy, uh, if I would like to speak. And I'm like, actually, no, I'd, I, like, I don't want to speak. Can I hear somebody, like, can one of the people from the church speak? 
And so Saeed uh, preached. He was the head of the, the house. He was the husband. And he and his wife hosted us, and then he preached. And he started preaching about what Jesus had done. He said, Jesus came as a servant to serve humanity. And he said, so I want to be a servant as well. And he started to talk about how he had changed in his habits. He said, I now help with the dishes and help around the house. And he said, he said to his wife, come in, I want to honor my wife. She did 90% of the work for our house church today. She's cooked a meal and, and blessed you, and, and, and she's welcomed you into our home. And afterwards, I'm going to work with her to clean it. And just kind of honored her and went on to talk more about who Jesus was in his life. And I said to our global worker, I said to Jeff, I said, was that just as big as what I think it was? And he's like, uh-huh. A Muslim man would never say that. That is not a cultural norm. He is standing up to be different than the culture because of what Jesus did. And I went, I love when Jesus comes in. Yeah. Like I, and it actually, it made me go, why are we striving to be so culturally but like relevant when maybe we should actually be striving to be impacted by Christ? But that's another sermon. That's a whole other yeah, sermon. Yeah, sorry. Okay, like, I, got, I got excited. But it's interesting because the world deals in power, right? Like who's in control? Like, and it's interesting when people watch our marriage, you know, they want to go, well, who's in charge? Jesus. Yeah, yeah, but who's in charge? Jesus. <laughs> As we lay our lives down for one another in service to one another to glorify God, suddenly it becomes this relationship where people go, oh, my goodness, that's different. Because it's not about power. It's not about me. It's not about Darcy lording it over me. and He's not like that. And it's not about me diminishing myself, but it's serving into each other. And that, when you see it, is powerful. You see, that, that's what everyone wants. Now, we've been married 30 years. It took us a long time to get here, and we don't have a perfect marriage, but man, it's one. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure what you were going to say there. <laughs> Are you a little nervous? No, no. <laughs> so that, that's the revolutionary power of the gospel. And it works out into, like, our everyday relationships. Um, you know, there's an there's a author that we love. It's Carolyn Custis James. And she talks about a lot about partnership with men and women. And she said, God never gave up on his original plan, and neither should we. Hmm. And that speaks to us, that to reclaim God's original plan, um, forwarding this new kingdom. You know, uh, many, many people say, well, this is a secondary issue. Like, this isn't very important. It's not a hill to die on. Um, and I'm not convinced of that anymore. As I travel around the world, I go, it is time for us to be Christ-like. It is time for us to model Jesus, to talk about this. This is not just a woman's problem. This is a community problem, and it needs to be addressed not just by women, but by women and men 
together. Like, hear me, it's not just for women to say stuff about this. The pain that women face with this issue is significant, and I could tell you story after story that would sometimes make you sad or sick. Um, But I would say that half the church needs to be empowered and freed and (laughs) released into what, what God has called them to be, to maximize the gifts of our sisters. We're better together. That's good. We are better together. Um, Back to Carolyn Custis James, the Blessed Alliance. She says, when men and women are allied together, richer discussions result in better decisions. The elimination of blind spots and a greater kingdom force in the world. Research has shown that leadership teams that consist of 30% women have been proven to be more productive dynamic and catalytic. There's really something special when we go back to that original plan and men and women working together. Now there's obstacles to um, this blessed alliance. Things like our social structures. Um, we all grew up with kind of um, deeply entrenched social norms. There's, there's, you know, you can ask yourself, um, what roles did I see women holding uh, when I was growing up. We, we have pre-understandings about this issue, and um, pre-understandings are just that understanding of how the world's supposed to work, right? And then suddenly when it doesn't look like that, we have a problem with that. Another obstacle is biblical illiteracy, where people are not doing the deep dive theologically on this. And just skimming the surface, they might know a handful of verses Um, concerning women, but they've never done the deep dive. I actually didn't do the deep dive until my 40s, until I was called out (laughs) in an academic situation or setting. um, Basically, the professor told me I had a hermeneutic of feeling about this issue. And I went, holy smokes, he's right. Am I willing to do the deep dive theologically? That is an obstacle. Another obstacle can be women themselves. Sorry, girls, we're a part of the problem because we won't step up. We hold ourselves back all of the time, and we have a responsibility to to acknowledge the deposit, the gifts, the, the strengths that God has placed in us and develop it and use it. Another obstacle is just a lack of male endorsement. Um, And I, like, I, as a Pentecostal leader in churches and in meetings across our nation, I have seen and experienced women being put in their spot. And it's it's not been pretty. Like, there have been times where I've been, like, I haven't known what to do uh, as. You know, it makes me think of, we had a moment here, right by those doors, probably 15 years ago. We came out here to Summit to preach. Do you Mm -hmm. remember? And Fred Fulford was here at that point. Everyone remember Fred? Okay. And um, we were leaving the building, and Fred came up to Darcy and said, you better be careful, Darcy. Your wife's a better preacher than you. What? (laughs) Not true. I think think because I'm a woman who preaches, it's kind of more interesting because we see men all the time. but I'll never forget that moment because that was a moment for Darcy. And, and Darcy, I'm watching him, 
And he goes, I know, isn't she awesome? See, that was an endorsement. That was my husband coming and saying, yes. And I think sometimes men can be threatened, and so it's almost like, can we, can we just cap it down? But real men say yes and amen and advocate and make a way and cheer and, and help and ah. Oh. Anyway, I'm going on and on. Okay. Say something more. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we need to listen to women. Yeah. Um, uh, we need to pray. Like what? Because this is this is now. What can we we do? Well, listen. I know there was a, a, a moment at an ordination seminar here in BC Yukon where uh, I had been asked to to tell to talk about my calling and my journey in leadership, and um, I had talked about kind of the deep pain for many women in this area, but also just shared from my own life the pain that I had experienced, and and I I shared that journey, and then I asked them to break into smaller groups. And I asked the men to ask the women about their experiences as a woman in our communities. And I'll never forget the moment because I watched as women began to weep and began to tell their stories. And afterwards, you know, and the brothers were just listening to them, and it was beautiful. And afterwards, the men said, you never told us about this. And uh, the women said, you never asked. And so that's something that we can do is just to kind of get into each other's worlds and to ask what it's like. We can also model um, shared leadership in our communities. And really, that's what we're doing here tonight by having, you know, husband and wife preaching together. But in our churches, we need women and men serving in every area of the church, from the church council to children's ministries to making coffee to life group leaders, to the pastoral team. I think it's the real biblical model for shared leadership. And then give opportunities for women. Because without opportunities, it's impossible to develop skills. I remember when I started at Living Waters, um, (laughs) I, I knew God had called me to preach, but I didn't really know how. And I was the interim pastor for the better part of a year, and so I was preaching every Sunday. And um, I would end all of my sermons by saying, and that's all I got to say about that. And then she'd look at me on the front row, and I'd get up. And I'd hand in the mic because I didn't know what to do. How did I learn how to preach? How? By preaching. So this is how we learn. And so to give people, the op- women, the opportunities to grow and develop. Yeah, and I think that, like our churches sometimes do a, a disservice to, both, to young leaders and to women because it, we're all listening to podcasts. We're all listening and watching videos of great preachers. And so the pressure on a Sunday or at a youth night or whatever is to be an amazing speaker. So you don't want to ever give a young leader or a woman a chance to try. And I'm like, there, that culture of excellence actually needs to be shifted to a culture of discipleship. Amen. Say that again. That's good. Say it again. That culture of excellence <laughs> needs to be put aside yes. for a culture of discipleship. That is so good. 
Sorry. Okay. <laughs> it's just so good. It just came right, like right now. Like, like right in. Yeah, okay. Like, that was, okay. Someone write it down. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, you can do the theological work, like take the time. And you guys are students here at college. Like while you're here, dig in, ask questions. Uh, Dave had some good things to say. He still does. Uh, so, so check it out. Now, what can men do? And this, like I, I actually, uh, I want to say men, it's time for you to step up. It's time for you not to be boys, but to be men in this, this, this area, and to advocate and empower women and to look to be a Boaz and to look for the woman who needs a hand up and lift. Like, come on. Yeah. Help make a way and speak words of life. Not words of fluff, but words of life to the women around you because they're battling they're battling to to be seen they're battling to be heard and so make a way that they can be heard and speak words of life to them and there's a misunderstanding that women rising in leadership will cost men that somehow men will be diminished and i remember having the niggle that said if leanne grows as a leader what's going to happen to me And as I've experienced her leadership growth, it has sharpened me as a leader. It has empowered me as a leader. It's freed me to be myself. It's an amazing gift as she has has stepped up into, into leadership. You as men hold an important key. And it's time for you to step into leadership in our churches to say, make a way. What would happen if both women and men in the church were flourishing in their gifts and anointing? Like, seriously, let's just sit with that for a moment. What would happen? Can you imagine the impact for God's mission in our homes, in our workplaces, in our communities, and around the globe? It would be game-changing. you're a woman here tonight and God has been talking to you about leadership and if he's been talking to you about standing up to be a woman of God I'm going to invite you to stand don't be shy Don't, don't sit, don't, don't, don't sit. I'm going to get you to do another thing. I'm going to get you to take a step, take a step forward, come and stand at the front and face the front. Don't be afraid. Come face the front. Take a step. 
it always involves, like leadership always involves taking a step, taking a risk, and taking a risk into the unknown. I mean, you're taking a step and you don't know what McAllister's going to do. What's Darcy doing? Do. <laughs> what is he I doing? don't know. And Leanne know doesn't know either. <laughs> See, the world, the world tells them they're not enough every day. Every single day. You guys need to know this. They're, they're either told they're not enough or they're too much. Right, girls? And I believe that it's a work of the enemy to keep you low. Misogyny? You know what misogyny is? Satan hates women. And what, like, we are key in telling them the truth. The truth about who they are. So I just, yeah, we just need to pray over them. Hey, Dars? Mm -hmm. So we're going to invite the men. I don't know. Actually, I don't even know the chapel rules. Like, what if men are not allowed to pray? Are they allowed to touch? Okay, thank you, thank you. Okay. (laughs) Okay, so this is not... Bring your Bibles. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, okay. No. Oh. My face is my face is red. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna demonstrate. This is what I'm gonna ask you to do. Just because. Okay, like that. No bend elbow. Okay. So. Uh, So guys, uh, I'm going to invite I'm going to invite you to come and uh, not just pray a stock prayer. But I want you to pause before you pray and say, "Lord, give me a word whether it be a passage of scripture, but pray words of life. Prophesy over these women. And men, over the course of the rest of this semester, watch your words, your attitudes, your actions, and ask the Lord to reveal the areas where you slip into the culture. So guys, if God's been talking to you about being an advocate, a Boaz, and empower, I'm going to invite you to come and pray over our, our women. Let's go. As you're praying, I'm just going to pray over all of you. I'd just like to read this scripture verse out of 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. says this, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. Just what we're doing here. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. That is what is inside you. Power, love, and self-discipline, not that hungry, controlling power, 
But the power of the Spirit as it moves through you, through your lives, through your personalities, through your femininity. Thank you, Leanne, for sharing that. That is your strength. And with your self-discipline, we can learn a lot, (laughs) a lot, and need to learn a lot from you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the picture of the gospel in Genesis, the picture of, of man and woman coming together united as one, the picture that is prophetically speaking about you, Christ, and your bride in the moment to come where we will be one with you, the groom and the bridegroom together, united as one. Lord, forgive us of the times that we have fought against one another, that the battle of the sexes has been a reality in our lives. We repent and we confess of our shortcomings. In the culture that we live in, Lord, I pray that we would rise above that. We would rise above and against the culture of men versus women, women versus men, trying to domineer over one another. But that we would take the example that you showed in your scripture of of a Christ, of a Savior, of the groom, not just surrendering, but completely giving up oneself for the other. Lord, your word says for us as men to surrender to women and women to submit to men. I pray that that would be our characteristics to one another, ultimately to you. We thank you, Jesus, for your move. We thank you for your working. And we thank you for Darcy and Leanne, the word that they brought tonight, the example that they live out every single day. God, I pray protection over their marriage. I pray protection over their communication. Would it be clear? Would it be authentic? Would it be real? In times of of difficulty, we ask for blessing. In times of greatness, we ask for blessing. Uh, Holy Spirit, as they continue to uh, move forward to bless couples, global workers, leaders, as their influence uh, largens, uh, I pray, Holy Spirit, for an enlarged amount of, of protection. For an army of, of both men and women to continue to lift them up in prayer with this, uh, this work that is so needed not just within our denomination, but globally is so needed. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your power and for your self-control. Amen. Thank you guys so much. Let's give it up for Darcy and Leanne.